Feeling About with John Waite. And he is currently on tour. He's a good friend. We haven't seen each other in like, what, 10 years, John? Yeah, it must be. I mean, it's a while. I think I was playing, I playing uh, um, what's that blues club on? Uh... Iridium. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Tim, <laughs> I got this thing on the computer. It won't go away. Oh, hang on. Hang on. I'm here. I use my brain. It's fine. <clears throat> oh, we got you. <laughs> Do you want to start again? Uh, no, I don't really mind. I like it sort of like real. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. So uh, so anyway, as we were saying, I think the last time we saw each other was at the Iridium. And, uh, but I rich, you know, I almost know you for 40 years. I know. You know, where does the time go? But it goes. I, I saw a picture of myself on, on the Facebook page um, of me playing in the New York subway in 97. I actually played in the subway. It took my band down there to celebrate the release of When You Were Mine, the album from that period. And um, by Siberia, there was a bar there that Anthony- I remember that bar. <laughs> yeah, Anthony Burden did a whole thing on, on the bar itself. But um, the scene back then was so great and the people were great and the musicians in New York, there was such a lot of reason to go out, you know? Oh, and, uh, I know. Yeah, it's probably the best time I've known, you know. I know. We had so much fun. Tell us, tell us where you are in the world because I love your background. It's just yeah, so well, you. Know, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, we're we're in Dallas. We're playing a place called Billy Bob's, and it's like this gigantic country club. And uh national bands come through here, but they've had Willie Nelson. They've had Ringo Stars, All Stars, and uh, tonight they're getting us. So, um, but we're on the road a lot, and next week we go home tomorrow, and then we have four days off, and go back to Indiana, I think, do the Midwest for a couple of days, then we're down in Texas again for like four days. So, there's such a lot going on. And I love it. Yeah. You you love to tour. It is so you and it's it just makes you feel alive. And yeah, so 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 talk about that. Talk about what it feels like to be on the road again. Well, I never really stopped. I mean, about 12 years ago, um, I wasn't really touring. I was deep in a relationship and I was living in Nashville and uh, everything exploded, came to an end, and my dad passed. I'm was, sorry. No, no, you know, he was 84. <clears throat> and um, it was a dark period. And I, and I turned around to Tim, who we just met. And um, I said, you know, we should get busy, do something. I can't just sit around. And we just went right back out. I, I think at that point, it was doing like 10 gigs a year, if that. And I'm um, quite happy to be songwriting in Nashville and just spend the guitar doing odd gigs locally. And um, we suddenly went out and we were incrementally, we started reestablishing going out and then we ended up playing some big places. And then people kind of woke up to the fact that I was back out and releasing new, new music. And um, the duet with Alison Krauss had just come out. So there was a reason to go. And um, we never looked back. It was like, I forgot how much fun it was. And if you don't think about it too much, it's it's just what you do. 
Yeah. You always talk yourself out of doing something if you sit and think about it. But give me a guitar and I'll start playing you a song. So there was no real reason. The people that I really admired were playing into midlife, you know, and it wasn't arena rock. It wasn't like one of those things you go out and you're lip syncing and it's like, you know, making money. And it was just doing it for the sheer hell of it. And the money got really good. It was like it came, we reestablished what we were doing and people wanted to see us play. And then uh, it just picked up and we, we haven't looked back. Well, I just have to say, I saw you at City Winery. Your hair is a lot cuter now than it was then. <laughs> yeah, no, I went it's, it's grown in, it's grown in. Yeah, no, I, I got the $10 haircut. I um, should have known better, but I, but you know, what are you gonna do? And I saw somebody the next day and they kind of chopped it up and it looked a lot better. So. But I just wanna say how phenomenal you are. You just sounded so great. Everybody loved you. Oh. And I feel like you, you are, you still have it. You're still there. You still have that voice. And, you know, you, you say you're 71 years old, big, big boop. You know, I, it doesn't really matter. In well, my all the people, I'm, the people that I thought were really great are all older than me. And when I was 17, they were all five or six, seven or eight years older than me. And my peers, you know, I, there's nobody that was my age that I, that's still doing it at this level. And I, I, the people that I really admired then, I admire now, and they're still doing it. So if the voice goes out and I sound husky or whatever, I'm still going to be singing because it will still be expressive. But for some strange reason, I can hit higher notes now. And I have that kind of wisdom that you get with getting old, older, you know. I, nothing phases me. And if you put me up against anybody, I'd come out swinging, you know. And you don't care as much, right? It's it's like liberating. Well, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, it's like you you realize what you've done and the legacy, and it's like um, it's like a pot of gold, you know. It's like you, go, I did that, and now it's just for me. I'm not climbing a ladder. I got there, you know, and uh, got there a couple of times, and just decided not to do it. And it seems like I can do it on my terms no matter what now. I don't need a big shop manager or a big label. I just go out and do it and release music. And it and it's just as successful in a lot of ways. I make more money now than I ever did. It's kind of the weirdest thing. And the money's yeah. the last reason for doing it. You know, when you don't care about it, people start giving you stuff. Yeah. Well, you have Tim. He's, he's helping you out a lot. He's like... He's okay. Without Tim, it wouldn't be here. I think if me and Tim decided to knock it on the head, I'd just go and disappear, you know? <laughs> um, I was listening, this is so funny. I was listening to Rob Lowe's podcast not too long ago and Rick Springfield was on. Oh, really? And he said that you, and you're going to be going out with him on the 80s tour. He said that you were one of the top five vocalists that he's ever known in his career. Well, that's nice. Rick's a great guy. I mean, last year we went out with Rick. Uh, they rang up, met at work and Rick and me. And uh, the, the idea was, like it was gonna be the three amigos really, you know, and I, but I was gonna go out unplugged. They said, you know, we'll give you this much, but you have to come out unplugged just for half an hour or 45 minutes, whatever it was. 
And I said, okay, you know, the money was great, big crowds, love Rick, he's an old friend of mine. And um, then I thought about it, and I thought, we're gonna be playing 6,000 people a night. I can't do it without a drummer, you know? I mean, it's okay, people are gonna buy a hot dog when, you, when you're trying to, you know, on the acoustic. No dynamics, really, after half an hour. So I brought the drummer out, Alan Childs, and we were in Florida the night before with the tour started. And he bought this small Ludwig drum kit, like a small snare, a hi-hat, and a tiny bass drum. And uh, that was the deal. It was just like, you know, we're going to take drums, but it's going to be like really scaled down. And we came out and killed it. And the audience kind of loved it because it looked like we were starving. You know, it was like done on an extreme budget, but it was so much fun. And the fact that it was like, we didn't have a big gear. We didn't have any of the, the stuff the other the guys did. You know, the other guys were like, you know, had six guys in each band. We were like really slimmed down. And, and it was just incredibly intimate. And you didn't have to use any device to make people listen. You just came out and killed it. I mean, the rule is, number one, you bring it. People buy a ticket and you don't gouge them for the t-shirt. You don't gouge them for the CDs or the artwork or anything you're selling for merch. It's a bargain you make with people. Come and see us sing. And everything is going to be real, authentic. We're not in it for the money or the business or whatever. And it, it flies, you know. And I think if you keep, it's just the same mentality we had when you were 17. Yeah. It's, elliptic, it's an elliptical thing. You become 17 again. Yeah, it's so great. So so being on I your- I have to say, I have what? to say that you look fabulous. Uh, I mean, I'm sweating. Look, I'm sweating yeah, to death. You look really great. I mean, I, I don't know what's happened, but did you got married or were you married before? I did. I got married. Well, I was married then to to somebody who I'm not married to anymore. But wow. second time around, uh, phenomenal guy. He's actually a Broadway producer. And wow. he, here's the craziness. I heard that somebody approached you to do Broadway. Yeah. Tell me that story. What happened? Well, you know, I, I was it's before the Ringo tour. But uh, I got this phone call. Did I want to do, uh, is it Aida? Uh, Elton John had written the music and they wanted me to be the, the 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 bad guy. And I heard some of the music and it was great, you know, and I'd never done Broadway. And I thought, well, I'm not doing anything. You know, I mean, it's like I was still touring, but it wasn't like, you know, I had to go anywhere. I could call the shots in my own life. And they, they got in touch and said, do you want to do it? Come out and audition, you know, and we, we want you. And almost simultaneously, I got the phone call from Ringo to go and do the All-Stars. And it was like, you know, the road less traveled. You know, it was like, go that way or go this way. And um, he rang me up personally. Ringo, you know, it was like, hey, John, do you want to come on the road? You know, it's going to be great, that, you know. And I couldn't say no. It was Can't Ringo. say no to Ringo. No, I, you know, talk about being 17 again. I was like seven again. You know, I was like a child. It was Ringo on the phone. I just, of course, when you want me, you know, 
So I, I went with Ringo. Well, I don't think that Broadway show ever took off, did it? I, I, no, I stopped paying attention immediately. But the music was sensational. Yeah. I think Alan Childs um, was the drummer in the orchestra. And uh, it's kind of weird that we're together again playing. That's uh, cool. That would have been weird, wouldn't it? Yeah. You should do some acting, though. I feel like like it's, like it's in your bones. Uh, you know, I thought about it. I've done some acting before. I was I was a guest star on this um, soap opera in the eighties. That was uh, in like Prime Springfield. <laughs> yeah, you know, once you're on TV, they love you. And uh, I was me, and Nicolette Sheridan was in it, and um, some really major stars. And it was me and my band. And I was having this love affair with this young girl, and and I was like. Um, I had to be on the road playing like three nights a week and then fly after the gig to get to LA to get makeup at 5.30 to act at like, you know, 7.30. I could do it for like five weeks, then it was like, whoa. But he got canceled. You know, it's one of those things that threw everything at it, and I, including me. And it was great. And, uh, but I've always wanted, you know, I think, I think musicians, Whatever they're doing, that they're very much in themselves, and they can't hold in this thing, songwriting, you know, message. But actors, they seem to be capable of being anybody else. The really great ones like De Niro, um, you know, um, all the tremendous English, British, Shakespearean guys. Um, they can become somebody else like that and uh, I can't do that if it was something like you know Shakespearean like King Lear or something that was like uh, Othello you know I could be Iago you know I could do I could think about it <laughs> and then come out be Iago I am not what I am you know I could see that but um, plays a you know, when you really get into some plays that have been written, it's so profoundly, it's it's high art, you know? Mm. I mean, with Chekhov, I love Chekhov's short stories, but his plays, you need a shovel. You know, it's so subtle and multi-layered and from a different time. And people doing the Three Sisters and Uncle Vanya and all that stuff. And it's like, you know, all right, you know, whatever. But uh, I don't think I could do that. But... Uh, a character part, I, I I know I could do that. I know I that would... you you were always a huge movie buff. We would always talk about movies. Yeah. So, have you seen Barbie? You know, I haven't. And I, at first I thought, oh, Christ, you know, no. And then I saw the trailer and I thought it was great. You know, uh, I, I'm not a snob. I can, uh, I love movies and uh I'll, I'll watch anything if it's well done. You know, it's art. And there's different levels of, you know, humour and drama. But uh, I haven't really seen anything recent. But um, uh, there's a list of things that I would like to see. But you've had a bunch of songs in movies. I know you had a song, of, speaking of Rob Lowe, in About Last Night. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, those are things where they bring up a one a song and your manager says, well, we've got this, and they use it. But with uh, True Romance, the Tarantino movie, Tony Scott, they sent me a, a video. That's how long ago it was. But they sent you a video and said, write something for this scene. And that I wrote in Dreams with uh, Mark Spiro. We were in the studio when we got the phone call. And then they FedExed the video out. And it was Christian Slater. And uh, who's the really beautiful young girl that's uh, Arquette? What was the Rosanna Arquette? Well, there's Rosanna, and then it's the other one. Uh, okay. The younger sister? Yeah. Okay, uh, I'll think of it. <laughs> that was the first thing she ever did that, that really helped her career. Patricia Arquette. That's right. And she was so good. I mean, God, I fell in love with her, you know. Uh, she was just really a great actress. And it's the first thing she did. And I'm watching this video, and it was, In my life, I've seen such things that I wish I'd never seen. You know, I just, I got it. You know, two people that weren't necessarily going to meet and get on. I completely fell in love, you know. Opposites. And she was so good. And we wrote the song, and it was a big success. But that's the only time I've written for a movie. There's a bunch of questions I have from your youth um, that I would love you to like. Just give me your fondest memories, okay? I'm gonna, I'm going to name the album. Yeah. And tell me, like, what fondest memory pops up for you? Sure. We'll, do, we'll do like three or four. Cool. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good question. Okay. <laughs> Ignition. Um, 72nd Street. I'd moved to New York City about a year before. I'd written all the songs. Me and Ivan Kroll, the late, great, beautiful, wonderful guy that he was, my close personal friend and brother. And, uh, oh man. I was living on uh, 44 West 72nd Street, Lincoln Towers or Lincoln Terrace. And I had this tiny room and, um, a mattress on the floor and a dial phone and a rotary phone and a little black and white TV. And I was living off baked beans and tuna. And uh, it was uh, my wonderful friend, uh, 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 Neil Giraldo, produced. Yeah, Pat's, Pat Benatar's hubby. Yeah. And there we, he, was, he was great. But when I first moved to New York, uh, I, I really missed my girlfriend and I'd moved from the countryside in England and um, we were living together in a small village and I was thinking, is this really for me? I didn't know anybody. I hadn't met Ivan yet. Ivan saved the day. And I went to tracks to, to hang out with Carol Kay and uh, Ricky Bird and they befriended me and we sat there and um, Pete Townsend walked in with Mick Jagger and Jerry Hall. And the biggest thing in my life right then was, was the who, You Better You Bet. Oh yeah, me too to this day. Yeah, it's a wonderful album. And uh, I was a huge Pete fan. I loved his solo album. I'd seen him play when I was a kid. And he walks in, in this big black suit, like Rough Boys, you know, the empty glass. He looked just like that, white shirt, hadn't shaved. He looked like he'd been up all night. And I loved the guy. You know, 
and he got on stage and put on this kid's guitar. And I couldn't help it. I walked up and I said, can I sing one? He said, yeah. And we were up there for like half an hour, just jamming. And I've, there's a picture uh, that I've got on my mantelpiece of me and him playing on the, the stage of tracks. And he's got his eyes closed. And I've got my eyes closed and we're deep in it. And that, that for me was New York City and everything that, I mean, it just, it was just such a great moment. Uh, that's why I stayed in New York City. Uh, what a great, great story. Uh, what about no breaks? All of that was, you know, all of that was ridiculous. It was so great. Uh, I'd, I'd made the album in LA and I brought the masters back to the hit factory and finished it there and mixed it there with David Thorner. And uh, I was back in New York and I knew it was number one. And I got off Chrysalis and I was on EMI. And everywhere I went, people was, hey, John, how you been? Where are you going? What are you doing? And it was like, I'm home again. I'm in New York City. And I've got this album that I know is nuclear. And I'm free of all my contracts. And, you know, I was 32 or whatever. 33 and it was like the whole city embraced me I, I i everywhere i went people said hello and i hadn't even released the record yet and um you were you were a new york fixture for crying out loud for a while well, there yeah no i was I, I you know even after missing you came out i bought a house in poundridge and i lived in new york for 12 years in that house was but that really Phil Ramone's house that you bought? Yeah. Do you know there's a story? This is a good story. I was having, when I was making Ignition, I was in the Dakota coffee shop opposite the, the front door of the Dakota, so in the same block. And John had just been assassinated and I was living there. And it was doomy, but I, I was fully engaged in New York City. And I went to this little coffee shop and I'm sat there and this little old lady's at the next table. And, you know, you say hello, she's by herself, you know, and I'm having some eggs or whatever. She's like having a cup of tea and she's talking to me. And she says, yeah, my son, Blah Ramon, he, he has a lovely house in Poundridge. And, and it's really, I go up there for the weekends and he's got a lovely wife and we sit in the garden and it's so lovely. And I'm thinking, wow, that's really great. And I'm thinking it's Joey Ramone. I'm thinking it's the Ramones, you know. You know. Ramone, yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, that's really sweet. And it took me years to remember. And then I realized that was Phil Ramone's mother. And I, I bought the house. Like three years later, I bought that house. It was like, I mean, New York, things would happen like that all the time. Like Kismet, you know, you were meant to do this. You met that person, this happened. So it was always a magical city. It really yeah. was. Yeah. You also had like, came this this close to hanging out with Robert Plants or getting a drink with Robert Plants. Well, yeah, you know, I was, story. yeah, I, I, I was, um, that was recent, but it's 10 years ago. But I mean, me and Alison Krauss had covered Missing You 
and we became close friends and uh, I played the Opry with Alison, which was the biggest thing that ever happened to me. It was just nuclear. And Robert, uh, they were just about to release the Raising Sandra. And Robert was just showed up and he was the nicest guy in the world. You know, we'd sit down in a corner when something else was going on and just talk about like music or, you know, mysticism or whatever it was, or beer. He's a big fan of beer, but the most approachable, down-to-earth, working-class guy. And um, I'm pretty much like that. I, you know, I, mean, I, I value coming from Lancaster. I go back as much as I can. The local pub, the beer, the people, and he's of them. I think he bought a house ten miles away from where he was born. And I wish I had done the same thing, you know. But he was such a great guy. But we, you know, you you wouldn't want to go out. And, you know, I mean, I was hanging with Alison, so I didn't want to go out and have a few pints with Robert. But, you know, I, he really was a great guy and we spent quite a lot of time together, you know. I kind of feel like that's also your MO. It's like you've, you, you've become very famous, but you've always maintained you. Well, you know, it is only fame. And I've been in the babies and uh, we'd been on every TV show in the world, two of the world. We tasted that and then it, it went away. We split up, it went away. And I moved to New York City. And, you know, I come from a working class background and I, most of my friends are the friends I had when I was a kid or friends that I've made over the last 20 years. I still I still uh, move in the same circles, you know, I really do. Mm. Yeah, there's something really to be said about that. And then if you yeah. well, and then if you get out of hand, you probably have people that'll smack you around and say, snap out of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, that, well, you choose your friends well. You know, I mean, I'm not sure you choose the people you fall in love with because it just happened. But, you know, you love your friends in a way. And um, they're very important. I like people that you can really talk to and be yourself with. I think fame is like, you hang out with other famous people and it's like, get the fuck away from me. You know, I mean, it's like, hey man, how you doing? Let's get our picture taken. It's like, get the fuck, you know. But uh, some of those people are great too. You can't just judge people for being famous. But uh, it never really impressed me that much. I could see it for what it was. It was very enjoyable moving in those circles for a while, but you know, it's time to go back to work when you, you know, after the weekend, you know. Is there that one person that you might have that sort of pinch me moment with like for me it was when I met Jack Nicholson in an elevator and he kissed my hands and I almost died wow that's great <laughs> that's great I met Robin Williams once when I was doing um a soundtrack with Don Henley um, and, and they invited all these people down they're like from you know Universal or whatever the really big famous producers and, and Robin Williams. And and I didn't know what to do. They probably come down to say hello to me. I mean, it's like, I didn't even realize it. And they were playing the track and Henley's talking to him. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. And then everybody says, see ya, you know? And it was like, you know, I didn't know what to say. And they all left and Robin Williams popped back in and said, Fabulous track. Love your voice. Great to meet you. And it was like, all right, Robin, thanks, man. And But that's Robin Williams, you know, just a heart, you know, on two legs. And um, 
Corbin yeah. Williams. Gorgeous, gorgeous. So what? So after this tour, what what are your plans? Are you going to go back into the studio? Are you going to put out new music? What are you going to do? You know, I I've been saying I'm not going to do it because uh, I put out an EP last year called Anything, and it had four original songs and Dylan's Masters of War, which I felt compelled to do because of the Ukraine. I wanted to show some support for the mentality that uh, is opposed to war. And that's just a tragic and incredible piece of art, uh, staggeringly articulate. And it's a shame that we somebody has to dig it out and sing it again 40 years later. But I was 17 when I heard that, it moved me and I, I, I covered the song, put it out. And um, it didn't really make any difference. The fans that follow me loved it. It sold like quite a lot of copies, was in rotation, people were playing it. And it doesn't make any difference. You know, you do it for yourself, and you do it for the people, but you don't want really to do it for a big audience. You just make music. I mean, you know, the world is, it's off balance at the moment, but I think I'm hope I'm hoping that human nature is going to progress and we're going to be a bit more open-handed. I mean, the, the people that run the music business are multi, multi-millionaires, probably billionaires. And but you never see you never see musicians going on strike, though, do you? No, because <laughs> they get Christmas bonuses of like fifty million. Well, you just got to keep pushing on, right? Because what's the alternative, right? Well, yeah, but I'm very lucky. I've been working since I was a kid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, airplay for me now is I could just disappear and go and live in Ireland. You know, I'm always going to be fine. I've got money in the bank and I've reorganized my life and it's been very successful. But a lot of people starting out. I was in the Apple store yesterday buying a new iPad and this guy was telling me he's got a band and you know, you know, I'm going to make it. And I felt like saying, well, you know, think about that, kid. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but, you know, Give me a call. <laughs> yeah, come on. You know, get a real job. Um, ah, life's great. You know, just as long as you know it's great, you're always going to be okay. But it's so wonderful to see you. <laughs> We go back so far, I can't even remember the first time we met. <laughs> I can. 1984. <laughs> really? Are you there? <laughs> yeah, but it's great. You know, I mean, all those people are still, the ones that are not no longer with us are still uh, creating work and, and, and part of the arts, you know. It's great. It's yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, it really is. So great to see you. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on. And, to, you know, even if you've got wash to do, you know, and all that kind of jazz, I'm glad. <laughs> it's like an advert for like, you know, um, you know, washing powder or something. Let me tell you. Um, yeah, no, it's wonderful to see you and, and catch up.
Always news. Always refreshing. Always candid. Always billing about. Robin Milling delivers what celebrities are saying to you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.